Good. Well, um, as John forgot, we're doing LTS uh, last week and this next week. Uh, for those who don't know, it's called Life Transformation School, which we started uh, Wednesday night. We do about two and a half hours every night. We did about eight hours yesterday. Uh, we'll do another four hours this afternoon and then every night this week and then Saturday uh, morning next week. You think, what in this world is you, are you guys doing? God is blowing our faces off. Uh, I can just tell you, I see, I see slow head nods of our LTS friends. That the Lord is meeting us. In, it, it's, it, basically what it is, it's basic discipleship, but not just knowledge, experiential. Okay, so, so, so we talk about something, they say, okay, let's experience it with the Lord. And, and there is freedom that is happening in people that hasn't happened for decades. Um, I even feel I can feel it in worship today. It's just when the cap's off for more of us, we can just get after it because we actually know who we're talking to. We know who we're singing to. We're like, oh my goodness, do you realize who's giving us his attention? It's stunning. So what I'm going to do today actually is I'm actually going to share one of the teachings uh, we do that's a basic teaching with LTS. Um, and what I found is to a certain extent... Um, for many, many people, this isn't new in their head, cognitively, but experientially. Experientially, there's, there's actually a lot of uh, minefields, a lot of hidden uh, traps here. Um, what we think about God, we've, we've been talking about God, uh, what kind of leader is Jesus, what kind of king is Jesus. It's so critical that we get a clear idea of who God is. Um, I mentioned this a while ago, and it's just true that there are many of us who have rejected God. There are people who have rejected God and left the faith because they rejected a God that doesn't actually exist. And shouldn't. It's, it, it's very appropriate to reject that God. <laughs> Some of us have lived under years of just ugh, trying to be good because we, we've tasted enough of God that we know we want him. But there's enough things that aren't true that it just it feels like oppressive or duty or dry or boring. Man, God is anything but boring, I promise you. I promise you. Whew. You know, it, God is so not boring. Sometimes like, can you leave me alone, man? <laughs> so so what we're going to continue today is just looking at who is God? How do we see him? And then invite him to maybe even surprise us. Who here believes that God is so big, I might not know everything about him? I mean, for real. I, sometimes I think about this, this pastor job in, on a Sunday. It's like the dumbest thing ever in that, like... Like, I'm like bringing out God on a platter and say, here he is, you know. That's the dumbest idea ever. It's like saying, like, I'm introducing the sun to you every morning. That was my idea, you know. It's that dumb. It is the overwhelming majesty and size of God who made everything, who runs everything, who sustains the world by the word of his power, Hebrews 1 says. 
We, we, we barely know what we're involved in. But God has revealed some things through Jesus, through the scriptures. And so if, if you do believe that God might be bigger than you know about him, would you with me agree to come into a, a, a posture of a learner and not an expert this morning? How about, how about a student rather than the teacher? Do you know that God only gives himself to the humble? Let me say that again. God only gives himself to the humble. And if there's a single person in the room that's convinced I already know, then you're not humble. <laughs> Was that direct enough? Because that's saying I have a handle on this God creature Versus creator. There's a guy who said that and his name was Lucifer. Okay, so we don't want to be in his, his, his camp. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, so I know it's kind of intense, but it's super important. There's a lot of actual spiritual warfare about this beautiful stuff. Because when we get an idea who God is, then we understand who we are and the authority we have. This is so much at risk when we get to understand who God actually is. For darkness, there's so much at risk. It's beautiful and so wonderful. The world is a beautiful place because our Father is who He is. So, okay. So here's, here's, here's the teaching we do. is just asking, how was God first introduced to you? And for many of us, maybe it was as creator. You know, we know how did everything get here? God made the world. And so what I want to do is look at a passage where it talks about God as creator and, and just notice some things about it. And this is Paul writing uh, to the church in Ephesus, and he, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now watch this. For he chose us, the Father chose us in Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love... He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Let's notice this thing about creation. The Father chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. Think about that for a second. God didn't make us because he needed us. We weren't an accident. There are actually some religions that literally creation and humanity are an accident that gods are annoyed with. But before he made anything, he had you in mind. How do I know that? Because it says that it, right there in the Bible. Before he made stars, before he made galaxies, before he made gravity... He had you in mind. He had us in mind to be holy and blameless in His sight. The best definition I can think of for holy is like God. Holy is what, what you say when you see God and you're like, holy it's what the beings around his throne are saying because he's so other. He's so electric. It's, it's the best thing is, again, like the sun. Holy is God. That includes 
morals and all that stuff, but it's so much more. Alive, burning. He chose us in Jesus to be holy and blameless in his sight. The way he saw us. And already knowing ahead of time we couldn't make ourselves like him because he's the creator. He's already saying, I'm going to make them just like me. In my estimation, the only estimation that that matters. To be holy and blameless in his sight. How about this? In love, he predestined us. What was God's motive for making us? Love. Love. Out of the fullness of God's love, he said, I want to share myself. And I'm going to predestine. I'm already going to create this destiny out of my love to do what? To be worshipers? To be minions? To be workers? To be sons and daughters. Think about this. This is rooted in the heart of God himself. The eternal God. Rooted as to why we were even made. The destiny of humanity. Is to be sons and daughters. And look at this. Not because he had to. It's because he so wanted to. Accordance with his pleasure and will. He wanted to do this. He likes us. Nobody made him do this. Because he thought this is a great idea and it makes me happy. I'm going to make you. How do I know it? It's in the Bible. It's God's own self-expression to understand, to give us some understanding of things that are beyond us. So we know that God is a creator, but what this text, and we see over and over again throughout the scriptures, is that he's first a father. Now I already know I'm starting to kick on some things. We're just going to keep after this. God is first a father. Father, son, and spirit eternally. Some of us have met, learned about God as redeemer, and he is a redeemer. We've got this idea of buying back. You know, it's not a really common thing in our culture other than with coupons, right? Redeem a coupon or something like that. But there's this idea that was especially prevalent in the the Near East, uh, ancient Near East, was the idea of of buying someone back, rescuing someone back from the situation they're in. And we see Paul talking about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He uses the words of reconciliation. He says, if anyone is in Christ, meaning he's put their faith in Jesus, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry is that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now here's a question. If God is first a father, if that's actually true, then what kind of redeemer is he? Why is he buying us back? Why is he going to win us back? And one thing is to think this, is reconciliation is to get his kids back. 
I'm not making this up. This is in the text. The reconciliation isn't because he's so annoyed that, great, i got to clean this mess up. Has anyone ever felt like God felt like that? I have. He's just annoyed. Great, another mess i got to clean up. No, he wants his kids back. This is a great phrase that unconditional love requires unconditional liability. A father, a mother will do anything it takes to get their kid back. I had a phone call earlier this week where I was planning to talk to somebody from the congregation. And it was a mom and she got on the phone and I was like, how are you doing? She goes, well, my child's been missing for an hour and I just found them. And I was like, I know what your heart rate's like. Because I, I just know. I mean, I, I was, um, years ago, there used to be a Bill and Ruth's at 71st and Mingo. Remember that? Over there by Zio's? That was years ago, wasn't it? Matt's looking at me like, nobody knows what you're talking about. You're too old for that. So me and a buddy of mine, you know, we had, we both each had a son. And our kids were probably about four. And we took them in there. And, you know, we, we kind of did the dad version of watching the kids. You know what I mean? Which just means as the door's closed and they're running, it's good. You know, they're in the restaurant. Uh, but then I look back and my son's gone. I'm like, uh, not cool. I better go outside. I don't see him anywhere. And then my wife, she's getting angry as I'm doing this. She remembers this. Um, and I catch, I look over, and it's where Zio's used to be. I see the reflection, his reflection in the window as he's tearing out toward 71st Street. And so I just, I run. You know, like, what are you doing, man? He's like, what? You know, it's like, <sighs> and my heart rate was up for like three hours. And then I told Kelly. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's in, it, it, unless you have children and if you have been in that situation, it's kind of hard to know something visceral happens to you where you'll do anything to get those children back. If God's a father first, the kind of redeemer he is, he'll stop at nothing to be reunited with his children. So he's a creator, he's a redeemer, but he's first a father. Some of us met God as king, and, and he is king. We talked about this for a few weeks, that Jesus came into Jerusalem as the Messiah, the king. And one of the best ways we can look at what kind of king he is, uh, we, we did that through all the passion narrative, but also in Matthew 5-7, through 7, we have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is... One of the best Gospels to really see what God's kingdom is like. There's just a lot of talk about that. And in Matthew 5 through 7, we've got the principles of the kingdom. What kind of king is this? Well, here's what he acts like. And one of the things that Jesus says, he said, you've heard it that it was said, love your enemy, or excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and to the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what re- re- 
reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Now think about this. Jesus is trying to explain what the king and his kingdom are like. And he says, first of all, he's a father. And he's not only a father who's pretty benevolent, but he loves his enemies. Right? When we think of a king, especially at this time in Israel, but when we think of a a king, a powerful leader, one of the things we want to make sure is he has an army to take over the bad guys, right? At least defend us and and, and beat the bad guys. And and Jesus says, no, the father is a king who loves his enemies. And then Jesus makes his invitation. He says, be perfect. Therefore, your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect is the word teleos. It can be translated complete, mature. His point is this. Imitate your dad. This king continues to be described in Jesus' sermon. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We know that a king is to be obeyed. We know that's what you do with a king. But here's this king. We obey this king because he will reward us as a father. Did you know that reward is all over the New Testament? This, this, this salvation thing isn't about escaping something. It's about being in, invited into your created purpose. That then you're, by his own doing, makes us son and daughter. Through Jesus, we can't make ourselves, we can't born ourselves, you know. And then says, here's, here's your motive for doing good. Not so I won't kick you out, it's because I want to reward you. Did you hear what I said? Not so I can kick you out. It's because I want to reward you. Paul says it this way. Oh, no, he doesn't say that. Jesus says this. We'll get to Paul in here in a second. How about this? In this, same, in this same message, Jesus teaches us how to pray to the king. So he says, our creator in heaven. No. Our redeemer in heaven. No. Our king? That'd be good. Our father. Say, teach, how do we relate to God? Oh, this is the way to do it. Father. So God's creator, redeemer, king, first. First a father. Okay, some of us know God as judge. Guess what? God is a judge. He's the right one. He's the righteous one. If you want to know what's right or wrong, just look at God. He is the definition. He's the definition of right and wrong. But if God is first a father, then what kind of judge is he? 
Has any father had to adjudicate a family matter? Isn't it amazing how naturally kids turn into lawyers? It's shocking. And or salespeople. Fathers judge to restore justice in the family. Justice is absolutely critical. But fathers do it to restore justice, not to punish. Fathers give fair consequences, reasonable consequences. Like if you were caught speeding five miles an hour over the speed limit, would it be reasonable to have a million dollar fine? Seems like it's a little out of, out of balance, right? Fathers give fair consequences. And fathers judge only when necessary. I mean, seriously, do, 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 do you want to follow your kids around? Just judge. I don't think about that. Not about that. Uh, I'm not sure. Yet, how many has felt like he's right over our shoulder? That's not good. That's not good. That's okay. Well, uh, now I'm so frustrated. Fathers judge when necessary. This is what Paul said about the coming judgment. He said, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. What is he saying here? For those who long for his appearing, those who have put their faith in Jesus, Paul's not confused about the gospel. It's not because Paul was such a great apostle or something like that. My guess is Paul had no idea what he'd actually done by the time he was dead. He had an idea, I did, I, I did my best to serve the Lord, but what's going to happen? That's up to him. He's saying, I put my faith in Jesus, and I can't wait for judgment day. I can't wait for judgment day because he's going to award me on the day of judgment. So when our faith is in Jesus, judgment is about rewards, not punishment. Some of us are having crisis and it's really, really important. Do we know everything about God? Can I be a learner? today so we know God's creator redeemer king and judge but he's first a father he's all of these things but he's first a father Old Testament shows us this not as much as the New Testament and there's reasons for that but you know there's this one of these verses in, in Psalm 103 it's just so beautiful that as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, those who are in relationship with him. Compassion is his stance. Do you, do you know it's so important that we understand? It, if you go to Plumline Ministries, they, they'll teach you this, or any good uh, mental health stuff would say if you're going to have emotions and describe your emotions, true, normal, healthy emotions are always mixed emotions. We never feel just one thing. So you have an event happen, and there's four, four uh, emotions, basic emotions, mad, bad, sad, and glad. And truth is, I'm a little mad, I'm a little bad, I'm a little sad, and I'm a little glad, all at the same time. We're never just mono. 
It's not a healthy emotion. But we often impose that on God. Does God like sin? No, not at all. God hates sin. He rejects sin. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether he loves us. He can be running both emotions. He's already said that baked into, not even baked, he just is. He's a father who in love created us out of delight to be sons and daughters. Have you ever been mad at someone you love dearly? In fact, you're only mad because you love them. The worst emotion is total indifference. Say it again. The worst emotion is total indifference. That's the coldest thing we can do to somebody else. I don't even care that you're there. But the motive is the thing. Is God upset with sin? Yes. Is the wrath of God a real thing? Absolutely yes. But we have to understand where it comes from. Is first a father. That before he made a thing, he thought of us and thought, this is going to be awesome. I make them sons and daughters. We see this prophecy about the Messiah, which we know applies to Jesus. And Isaiah said that there's going to be a child born to us. A son will be given to us, not just Israel, but the world. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So it's cool, Eternal Father's there. But why is that in a prophecy about Jesus? Well, the New Testament makes that really clear to us. It's this, it's because Jesus is the Son who reveals the Father. He's the Son who reveals the Father. Theologian uh, Michael Reeves said it this way. He said, there are two very different ways or approaches to thinking about God. The first way is like a slippery, sloping, cliff-top goat path on a stormy, moonless night during an earthquake. It is the path of trying to work God out by our own brain power. The other way to think about God is lamplit and evenly paced, paved. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is, in fact, the way. How? Well, just the fact that Jesus is the Son really says it all. Being a son means he has a father. The God he reveals is first and foremost a father. Brilliantly, Jesus says in his last really time with his disciples before his death, he's praying and he prays for his disciples and then he literally prays for us. He says, for those who will believe in me through these disciples' testimony. He's praying for us and he says this, Father, I want those, those, anybody in this room who has faith in Jesus, he's praying for you. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me. Why? Because you loved me before the creation of the world. As we look out through the New Testament, the way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another is love and surrender. Love and surrender. One theologian, St. Augustine, would say that that. Father is the lover, the Son's the beloved, and the Spirit's the love. That there's this going in and out, in, in loving and giving. He's saying before anything was created, Father was eternally loving the Son. And then look at this. 
he then says, Jesus says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Those who've trusted in me, they know that you sent me. I've made you known to them. And how about this? I'll continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The eternal love of the Father coming in and out between Father and Son by the Spirit. Jesus says, I want them in that mix because they'll be in me. I mean, it's not, it's not a moody love. It's not a love that has any reason other than I want to. Why? Before the creation of the world. Because of his own pleasure will, his delight. That's why we exist and that's why we are the object of his eternal love. Paul talks about the church. He's praying for the church here. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, which is significant. The whole concept of family and fatherhood is, is born out of God. We see that in Genesis 1. And he prays this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So it's the, we just talked about being in Christ, Christ in us. I pray that you being rooted and established in love by the way, every time he says you, it's plural you. I should say y'all. This is not about a singular thing. He's talking to the church. I pray that y'all, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The love of Christ is the Father's love. He reveals the Father to us. And here Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll know the dimensions of it. And by the way, you'll never hit the end. By the way, you can't comprehend the size of it. By the way, that you really all you can do is experience it. Because there's this endless ocean of God's eternal being. He's eternally loving the Son. And he's saying, I want to stick you right in the middle of that. So the question is, do you know God as this kind of father? Now, this is where things get sticky. Because there, there might be some of us, <laughs> that's an ironic statement, that your picture of father doesn't look anything like this. Like you, you, were, you were starting to disengage right about a father gives fair consequences. Here's the best news ever. Every single person in this room has a dysfunctional father. 100%. My dad's great. Yeah, he's okay. He's not the father. He's not the father. I remember I was like with my first child, this poor kid, right? The first child gets experimented on with all your failure and just like, well, that didn't work. Sorry about it, dude. Let's try on the next one. Parents are not laughing at all. Like, yep. I was so obsessed with, I know that somehow I as a father are going to shape this guy's image of God. And what finally got, it, it, it's, it's tormenting, honestly. If you think you can do that, you're crazy. 
The best we can do as dads is be a witness to the Father. The best we can do is be a father who's a witness to the Father in our imperfect, stumbling ways. The best we can do. Now we get the chance to let the Father, through Jesus and the Spirit, transform us more and more that it's not so, there's not so much to work through. But I don't care who you are, you've got something to work through. Because the Father is the Father. Nobody else is. So what I, hope, what I hope you hear with that is that if you had a really bad father, that yeah, that's an obstacle, but just so you know, nobody had a really great father. Nobody had the Father. Which means we're all on the same playing field as candidates of embracing the sonship that he destined for you before he made a single thing. Equally. There's, there's no people broken beyond that. There's nobody. We're all equally candidates for the same sonship. So the question is, do you want to know God as a father like this? Do you want to? Do you want to? My experience with knowing God as my father like this is it's like fits and starts. You know, it's like there's moments where there's a breakthrough and then just really slow work of the Lord convincing me that I can trust him. And then boom. But every once in a while, there'll be a, a block. And I don't even know all the reasons why. That's just part of being on a broken planet in the process of being saved. We're saved and being saved at the same time. Question is, do you want to? Now here's, here's the great news. Paul says this about our adoption in Galatians 6. He's talking about Jesus. He says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption to sonship. Does he say that we might achieve adoption to sonship? Does he say that we might understand? Super important we get this word right. We might receive adoption to sonship. There's not a single person in this room. I was going to have you raise your hand and say, who here initiated your own birth? But, you know, that's kind of a dumb thing to say. <laughs> right? It's a dumb thing to say. Who chose to be born? We receive our birth into sonship. We receive our adoption. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who naturally calls out, Abba, Father, Dad, Father. Abba's Aramaic for this familiar term. Father. So you're no longer a slave, i.e. performing for his love earning, achieving. Slaves, a slave's value is the output of its work. Right? That's brutal language, but do you live as if you're loved because of the output of your work? I have for years and years and years 
And the Lord has been slowly healing me, taking off lies, convincing me he's a father that can be trusted. That literally sitting still doing nothing, he's delighted that I exist. How do I know that? The Bible says he delighted to make me. He made me because he thought, this is fun, according to his pleasure and will. My existence is enough to make him just do backflips. You become God's child. Since you're his child, also an heir. That's just off the rails. That is off the rails. My favorite scriptures about this is in Ephesians, the first chapter, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead and then seated him with him at his right hand in heavenly places. That's about authority. Equal authority with the Father. But then what gets even crazier is in Ephesians 2, he says, oh, and by the way, you've put your faith in Jesus. He's raising you up to seat him with Jesus in heavenly places. That we actually have a place of authority over every name that is named, all the spiritual forces. It's all in Jesus. It's in the way of Jesus. I've tried to be authoritative outside of Jesus. It doesn't go that well. At its worst, it's just manipulation. Trying to control things as if I were God. But being relinquished to the king, seated with him, literally, it's all smooth. It, it's just beautiful. The world is beautiful. It's going to be, it's, it's contested. It's a dark world. But we, we're, we're above all of it, seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We're not ever under it. We're down here because we're going to bring people up into it. So here's a question. Do you want to know the Father like the Father we've described? Well, the only way you can do it is to receive it. Like, great, what is that? It's going to be different for each of us. But it does look like some initiative on our part to say, Father, okay, I've already put, if you've not put your faith in Jesus to say, okay, Jesus, I don't even understand all this stuff. I need you to rescue me. This sounds good. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know what to do about this. Help. Then you're in. I'll do that and we'll get baptized. Come and talk to me afterwards. We'll, we'll baptize you to seal that thing and be a sign that you're in with the Father. But for those of us, 100% of us, we're still receiving our sonship. It's an ongoing thing. One of the things I love most about this, Romans 8, it says those led by the Spirit are the sons of God. What does that mean? It means you're starting to learn how to live life with God. Jesus said, John 5, 19, I only do what I see the Father doing. I stay with that. So there's this ongoing life of learning to walk in the Spirit, that that's the sign of our sonship. And you know what the Spirit does while we're doing it? He goes, Abba. Over and over again, Abba. It's that same Spirit who's communicating the love of the Son to the Father is actually in our bodies. You know, you can't get any closer to to, to Jesus than that. You can't get any closer to God than that, that he is actually in you. So I'm going to invite us. Let's stand together.
from experience of doing this before, I know, I know that many of us are at just some, some crossroads. Saying, okay, okay, but I get it, I get it. Jesus says in Hebrews uh, 4, took on everything in our humanity that we have. And he's, he empathizes with our weakness. Jesus isn't surprised by your experience with whether it's your father or family of origin. He empathizes. And he says, here's the response with Jesus' empathy. is not, I did it too, get over it. It's like, so he's going to take you to the Father to receive grace and mercy in the time of need. He's like, I know how hard this is. Let's go. <laughs> so some of us, some of us, a roadblock is forgiveness. Forgiveness is maybe the biggest roadblock we can face in our spiritual life. A, to receive forgiveness, which Jesus freely offers, and then to offer forgiveness. Now that, for some of us, may be scorching. You're like, are you freaking kidding me? But Jesus tells us that, that for us to forgive is never to say what happened was okay. The cross says justice will be served, but that he prefers mercy. So forgiveness for somebody else is to say, I'm going to go ahead and let God be your judge. I'm going to go and let, and let the cross deal with your sin instead of me. Could we let Jesus wear that sin instead of us wear it? So I'm, I'm just going to pray a little prayer, and maybe you, can, you don't have to say it out loud or anything like that, but just of forgiveness. And if we're asking for forgiveness, we could just say something like, Father, I haven't believed you. I haven't trusted your love. Will you forgive me? Maybe it's something you've done to someone else and you're just racked with shame and guilt about it. Well, let's, do, let's deal with that right now for good. Father, I did this. Can you forgive me? And let's let Jesus carry that sin instead of you. Jesus on the cross, carry that sin instead of you. And let him say to you, I love you and I want you and I forgive you. Some of us may need to offer some forgiveness. And this isn't about an emotion. It's about an act of our wills, a decision that God, Jesus, our high priest, who knows how hard it is, but Jesus who practiced forgiveness even for those people who were beating him and killing him. So he's got what it takes to forgive. We don't, but he does, and he's helping us. It could be something like this. Jesus, Father, this person really hurt me. and It wasn't okay. But I am choosing to forgive them 
I'm choosing to let you be their judge. And I'm choosing to let you, Jesus, carry that sin instead of me. Just take a moment to do that. Here's how we're going to close. Some of us are also having some thoughts coming in our heads that might be the Holy Spirit of relational repair and that kind of thing. Um, also, some of us have got some chronic things that we say to ourselves and about ourselves that didn't sound anything like this. Those are called lies. If you're like, that's not the God I know. Okay, well then, this is what God's like. Because I'm just showing the scriptures, right? And I can say, not only from scriptures, but experientially, he's my dad. He's my dad. I, have, I happen to have a pretty good earthly dad. But he didn't fill all the gaps because he's not the father. And what's been even more fun is my dad and I getting older, we're both going to the father together and saying together, fill us, father. Fill us, father. We tried our best. Fill us. So we receive our sonship. So could we just invite the Holy Spirit to bestow and take us deep in, in, deeper into our sonship, our daughterhood right now? What does that look like? I don't even really know other than just asking. We're babies. But, but like Matt was saying, I mean, God's happy if we use the bathroom. It's like, well done. So let's just, let's just lift our, our attention to the Father right now. And really, if you can't imagine Him, no problem. Just focus on Jesus because He's the revelation of the Father. And a lot of times for me, it's easier to imagine Jesus. So He's got a face that, I've, that somebody's seen. And so we just now, Holy Spirit, we say, look at the hearts of the sons and daughters that you, the wisdom of God, thought of before anything was created we are not our own idea you decided that we would be adopted as sons and daughters from the very outset so lord would you have these hungry hearts of daughters come into every heart that's dealing with feelings of being an orphan or a slave that father we'd be able to live out our sonship our daughterhood out of your grace and your decision language that's not really PC, but it's just easier to pull this off. When we say son, we mean sons and daughters, okay? Just so you know that. I just want to end by saying together, I'm a son. That'll be our declaration to finish. Sound good? Ready? I'm a son. I'll say it again. I'm a son. I'll say it again. I'm a son. Bless you guys. If anybody wants prayer, come on up, talk. Otherwise, have a